things that would be wonderful if you can um, keep Psalm 139 uh, open in front of you, and uh, we'll be uh, having a look uh, through that particular psalm. Of course, we've been looking at the psalms over the month of January, and uh, we're continuing uh, in our series. Uh, let me lead us in prayer, and then uh, we'll have a look uh, at God's Word together. Let's pray. Uh, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that even before we knew you, uh, you have known us, and uh, we uh, thank you that we can take great comfort in that. And uh, we pray that now as we turn our attention to your word, uh, that you would be with us, uh, help us by your Holy Spirit uh, to not only understand uh, in, our, um, in our minds uh, the things that uh, you say to us, but that uh, we might know you truly and personally in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Have you ever been searched by someone? Have you ever been searched by someone? Uh, I remember many years ago I was searched at the airport. Uh, I was about, I was just about to board a plane to go on holiday somewhere. Uh, but when I went through the metal detector, uh, suddenly it started beeping, and so these uh, very scary security people came and they took me aside. Um, they, you know, waved their wand uh, all over my body. Uh, one of them started patting me down, and I felt like a common criminal as they searched me from top to bottom. Uh, now, you'll be pleased to know that uh, they let me off in the end. Uh, I think it was just a metal belt buckle or something metallic on, on my clothing that set off the alarm. But it was rather confronting to be searched by someone in this way. Uh, I can't imagine how much more confronting and embarrassing and uncomfortable it would have been if I had actually done something wrong or if I was carrying something illegal on my body. Well, this morning we're looking at uh, Psalm 139, uh, which uh, you might be familiar with because it's one of those psalms that has been a comfort to Christians down through the ages. But I want you to see that this psalm is a psalm that is all about God searching the psalmist. Uh, it's there at the beginning. So if you have a look uh, at, at uh, verse 1 there in Psalm 139, verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. And it's there at the end of the psalm as well in verse 23. Uh, you see there uh, a prayer that the psalmist prays that God would search him. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How do you feel about God searching you? Is this a prayer that you would be comfortable praying? Do you like the idea of God searching you and knowing every intimate detail of your life. How can this psalm be a psalm of comfort? Now, uh, if we dive into the psalm itself, you'll notice there that the psalmist says that God has searched him and God knows everything about him. Uh, in verse 2, he says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. In other words, 
uh, he's saying that God knows everything that he does in the home. You know, that's where you sit down, isn't it? Uh, the home is where you rise up uh, in the morning. God even knows what the psalmist thinks about in the privacy of his home. Further, God knows everything about the psalmist away from home. In verse 3, he says these words. He says, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. That is, the moment the psalmist walks out of his house and uh, is on a path, God knows. All the way to when he, when the psalmist returns and lies down in his bed. God knows everything about him. Again, uh, God's knowledge of this psalmist is not simply something that is external, but it's something deeply internal as well. Uh, in verse 4, he says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. We get glimpses of this uh, from people who know us very well. Don't we? Sometimes um, uh, when I'm out with my wife and something happens, uh, my wife turns to me and even before I say a word, she says, don't say it, I know exactly what you're thinking. Has that ever happened to you before? It's interesting uh, that the psalmist talks about God's knowledge of him as hemming him in. Uh, you can see it there in verse 5, can't you, where he says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Uh, it's interesting, I think, because uh, to our modern ears, uh, that can sound quite negative, can't it? It sounds like God, you know, hemming me in, taking away my freedom and that kind of thing. But I want to suggest that that is actually a result of our sin, which dislikes the idea of God interfering with our life too much. Is that true? And yet here, I want you to see that the psalmist delights in God hemming him in and having his hand on every aspect of his life. He says in verse 6, how wonderful uh, this kind of knowledge really is. Friends, I want to ask you this morning. Again, do you like the idea of God knowing everything about you? How do you feel about a God who knows every action, every word, and every thought that crosses your mind? How do you feel about a God who knows how you treat your family members? What you watch on your screens? What you think about behind closed doors? in the privacy of your home? How do you feel about a God who knows what you are like in your place of work or your place of study and the things you think about outside of your home? Well, if you're anything like me, my guess is that this makes me feel slightly uncomfortable. Is that true? Well, there is so much in our lives that we don't want others to know about. There is so much that we want to hide from others, and the thought of someone knowing exactly what we are we are like can actually be a terrifying thing. Especially God, the one who is the perfect judge of all things, having this kind of knowledge. 
you might have heard the well-known story of Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, who knows who Arthur Conan Doyle is? Yep, who is he? Or the author of Sherlock Holmes. Um, it, it seems that uh, Arthur Conan Doyle was a bit of a practical joker because um, there's a well-known story out there that says uh, one day uh, he wrote a telegram to 12 of his closest friends. Uh, now, for those uh, who were born um, any time after the 80s, uh, tele- telegram is uh, an ancient version of email, okay? uh, or whatever else you use. Uh, you probably don't even use email. Um, but uh, in this telegram, he wrote to his 12 closest friends, and on the telegram he said, Flee, all is discovered. Flee, all is discovered. Well, the story goes that to his great surprise and probably amusement, um, he found out that within 24 hours, all 12 of his friends had left the country. How do you like the thought of being searched and discovered by God? Does the thought of God knowing everything about you fill you with joy, or does it fill you with dread? Let me leave that hanging. Now, in the next block of this psalm, you can see there that the psalmist goes on to say that God is present with him everywhere he goes. In fact, he asks the question, where can I go in this world where, you know, without God being there? In verse 7, he says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your spirit? Uh, what's the answer? Well, the answer is nowhere, isn't it? There is nowhere he can go where God is not present. In verse 8, he says, If he ascends to heaven, which is another word for sky, well, God is there. Or if he goes down to Sheol, which uh, the people of, of God in the Old Testament believe was the place of the dead. If he goes to Sheol, even there, God is there. Or have a, have a look at me at verse 9. Uh, he talks about the wings of the morning which literally can be translated the wings of the dawn. Why? Well, it's because he's talking about the east. Uh, That's where uh, the sun uh, rises during dawn time, isn't it? Again, in the same verse, he talks about the uttermost parts of the sea. He's talking about uh, the direction of west, because that is uttermost in in the other direction. That is... No matter how far the, the psalmist goes, whether east or west, well, God will be there to lead him and to hold him. But it's not simply that God is with the psalmist in a spatial kind of sense, is it? But God is with the psalmist in a moral sense as well. And notice in verse 11 that the psalmist says, even in the darkness, God will be there as a light. Now again, uh, friends, I want to ask you, how does that make you feel? Uh, we've seen, haven't we, that God is the one who knows every detail of your life, including your behavior and your words and even your thoughts. But he, he's saying here that this God is also the one who is everywhere, and so we cannot escape him. And while the idea of a light in the darkness is something that is attractive to us as Christians, 
because we have been attracted to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the idea of shining a light in the darkness can also be a terrifying thing, can't it? Because the light is something that reveals what is really going on in the darkness, in the darkness of our hearts, perhaps. Uh, you know, a few years ago, I changed the light bulb uh, in my bathroom. I felt very manly uh, that day, um, and it's something worth celebrating because I don't do much handiwork around the home. But the previous light bulb was very dim, and so I decided to install a new one, which was very bright. But uh, you know what happened when I uh, installed it and I turned the light on? Well, the light was so bright that it exposed everything in the bathroom that I didn't want to the mold, the grime, the hair. You see, the idea of shining a light in the darkness can also be a terrifying thing because it reveals what is really going on. Uh, in my years of ministry, uh, I've noticed that it's very common for people to hide because they don't want to that about people? Now, perhaps you've noticed that about yourselves. You know, when you are not going very well in your Christian life, or when you know in your heart what God wants you to do, but you don't really want to do it. Or if you are living uh, consciously in sin, what do we do? Well, we often hide. go off bridge. We become uncontactable to others. We don't really reveal what's going on inside us to anyone. We try to get away from others as much as possible and perhaps even try to run away from God. And yet this psalm tells us that you cannot hide from God. I mean, you might be able to hide from people and friends and family. But you cannot hide from the God who knows you and is everywhere. Just ask the prophet Jonah, who tried to hide from God and flee from him, only to find him even in the belly of a great fish. And so again, how does the idea of a God who is everywhere make you feel? Does it fill you with comfort? But why does God have such an intimate knowledge of the psalmist? And why does God bother to be present everywhere with him? Well, the answer comes in the next part of this psalm, because uh, you see there in verse 13 uh, that it starts with the word for. In other words, uh, what is about to come next? Is a reason for why God knows the psalmist and why God is present everywhere with him. And uh, why is it that God knows him and is present with him? Well, it's because God formed him in the room. Uh, notice God's utter power in the intricacy of the way the psalmist is formed in the room. Verse 13 says, He formed my inward parts. 
you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Verse 15 says that God put him together secretly, out of the sight of others, uh, in his mother's womb, intricately weaving him together from the earth. You see, friends, that God's power is not only seen in his creation of the massive things in this world, like the oceans, but it's also seen in his creation of the intricate things. I mean, uh, I don't know whether you've thought about this, but the intricacy of the human body, of your body, is utterly amazing. Uh, did you know, for example, that uh, if you laid out uh, all the blood vessels in your body, in one human body, end to end, it will stretch for over 160,000 kilometers, which is about four times the circumference of the world. You see, your body is so intricate. It's so amazing. And yet, it has been stitched together by the power of God himself. But the psalmist praises God here, not only for putting him together physically, but because God puts him together with a purpose. Uh, if you have a look at verse 14, for example, have a look with me at verse 14. Uh, the psalmist says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But did you notice that uh, there is a little footnote at the end of that, that sentence? Uh, what does the footnote say uh, at the end of uh, the page to that particular verse? Can somebody call it out? Can you shout that out? Fearfully set apart. Uh, what God is saying here is not only has He put Him together, but He has set apart the psalmist uh, from the womb so that He might live a life for God's purposes. Uh, friends, uh, uh, this is why abortion uh, is so awesome. Uh, it's not simply because you can prove from the Bible that what is in the womb is a human life rather than a lump of uh, It's because what this psalm says is that God has a purpose for every human life that has been stitched together in the womb. And so to abort a human life in the womb is to completely disregard God's purposes for this life. Of course, it's very possible in a room of this size that there are some of us who have had abortions. Uh, perhaps you've had an abortion and are living with deep guilt. Uh, Susie Potro, the, American, the famous American physician, says this about living with an abortion which I'm told is a very common experience. She says, I would have loved to have had that baby. Not a year goes by when I don't think about it. I don't think I will ever get over it. Perhaps you are sitting in this room this morning and that is you. You are guilty. You've been trying to hide it. But it hurts I want to say to you, my friends, that perhaps this is the day to bring it to you. 
to confess to him for what you have done. It is a grave sin, but it is not the unforgivable sin. And God knows what you have done. And so seek forgiveness from him. Have the burden lifted, for Jesus died for sinners like you and sinners like me. Or perhaps you are here and you are contemplating an abortion, even though no one knows about it. Because you don't feel like there are any other options, and you feel that you will be stigmatized, especially at church, if you have a baby. If that's you, uh, I pray this morning that you will have the courage to speak to someone about it, someone at church that you trust, and to reconsider your options. And equally, I pray that we can be a church that doesn't stigmatize people who give birth when abortion seems to be the easy way out, but that we can be a church that celebrates life together and supports those who need us. Well, friends, uh, we've seen the psalmist saying that God knows him, firstly. We've seen the psalmist saying that God is present with him. And we've seen the psalmist has, said, uh, has been saying that God has formed him in the womb. And at least for the psalmist, it sounds like this is a wonderful thing, doesn't it? But I want you to see that in the final section of this psalm, uh, there is an abrupt change in gears. For you can see there that the final section, that in this final section of the psalm, uh, the psalmist uh, essentially pleads to God that he would slay the wicked. This is essentially a plea to slay. Uh, now, one of our high schoolers came up to me the other day and started using the word slay uh, in a sentence. And uh, I had absolutely no idea what she was talking about. Um, Apparently, the word slay now means to do something really well. Is that, is that true? Yeah? Yeah, just nodding out the front. You know, uh, he slayed his exams, didn't say. Um, she slayed that song. He absolutely slayed eating that burger. Uh, but uh, just to avoid any uh, confusion, uh, here it means to kill. Uh, just thought I'd clear that up for our high schoolers who are joining us this morning. Uh, and in particular, in verse 19, it is a plea for God to kill the wicked, isn't it? Uh, you can see that the psalmist feels very strongly against those who stand against God here. Uh, those who stand against God and His ways are described in verse 19 as the wicked, as men of blood. In verse 20, they are described as those who speak against God with malicious intent and enemies who take God's name in vain. Further, it's not only that he asks God to slay the wicked, but notice he is personally invested when God's honor is at stake. And so in verse 21, uh, he says that he hates those who hate God, and he loathes those who rise up against God. In verse 22, he doesn't just hate those who uh, hate God, but he hates them with a complete hatred, and he counts God's enemies as his enemies. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but uh, this is the point 
which I start to realize that this psalmist is not me. For it's very hard for me to say that I hate those who hate God. Is that the same for you as well? Further, such is the perversion of my sin that I have times where when I love the things that God hates and I hate the things that God loves. And so what the psalmist says here seems very foreign to me. I wonder whether you feel that way as well. I suspect you do. And so the psalmist is not me. And I can't say the words of this psalm or sing the words to this psalm as though the psalmist is me, you see. In fact, a good lesson to learn in reading the Bible is to realize that the whole Bible, whether we're talking about the Psalms or any other part of the Bible, is not primarily a book about me, you see. The Bible is a book about God. Of course, by knowing God, I come to know myself more truly. That is true. But the lesson to learn here is that it's not all about me. It's not all about you. And we can't simply read ourselves into every verse of the Bible. And so who is the psalmist who can sing the words of this psalm? Uh, well, if you have a look at the very uh, beginning of this psalm, uh, you'll notice that it is a psalm that is written by King David, one of the greatest kings in Israel in the Old Testament. But if you know anything about the life of King David, uh, you will know that even he would have had trouble saying some of these words with integrity. For he was a sinner like you and me. In fact, he was an adulterer as well as a murderer, if you know the story. It would have been hard for him to say these words. And that's because in a more profound sense, the one who can say these words, the one who can sing this psalm, is God's greater king. God's greater king, who of course is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's why in this psalm, the psalmist is filled with wonder rather than dread at the idea that God knows every detail of his life. It's because Jesus was without sin and had nothing to hide from God. And so that idea is a wonderful idea to him. And that's why the psalmist here is filled with comfort rather than fear as he reflects on God's presence with him in the darkness. For if you remember, Jesus is the one who faced overwhelming darkness as he went to the cross for sinners like you and me. But he was also the one who knew that God his Father would be with him and would not abandon him, even in this moment of utter darkness. That's why the psalmist here is filled with wonder as he reflects on God forming him in the womb. For Jesus is the one who, was, who while he was full of God, was formed intricately in Mary's womb so that he could become man to be set apart for a mission to save sinful people like us. 
That's why the psalmist here is filled with hatred towards those who stand against God and His ways. It's because Jesus was so jealous for the honor of His Father that He, he hated the things that God hated and loved the things that God loved and eventually went to the cross to destroy everything that stood against God, to destroy sin and death and the devil and all that stands against God and ruins the world that we live in. You see, this psalm really only makes sense, firstly, on the lips of Jesus. But friends, uh, here's the extraordinarily wonderful thing. For if you are in Christ, if you are united to the one that sings this psalm by faith, then you too can own the words of this psalm. Why? Well, it's because at the cross, Jesus has dealt with your sin one simple way. He has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. And so if you are in Christ, you can rejoice that God knows you rather than be filled with dread because you know that God has dealt with your sin. If you are in Christ, you can be comforted by God's presence because you know that God is now for you and not hunting you. If you are in Christ, you can marvel at God's handiwork informing you even in the room, knowing that you have been set apart for His purposes and to serve Him in His world. And so, will you serve God? Could you do that thing that you have been set apart by God to do? I know many of you are serving serving God's purposes in His world, but it's possible that for some of us, Life has become more about serving ourselves rather than the God who knows us, who is with us, and has set us apart to do His work. If that's you, then will you make changes in your attitude and in your life today? Will you ask God to help you with this so that you will serve Him in your life? For He is a God who knows you, with you, has loved you, even in the room, and has set you apart for himself. You are not your own. You exist for Jesus. And so let God's word search your heart and my heart this morning and change us and lead us in the way everlasting. That would be a great prayer for us to pray, uh, not only for ourselves. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not only know about us, but you know us personally as your children because of the work of Jesus on the cross for us. We thank you that you not only watch us, but are present with us even in the dark times in our lives. We thank you that you have not only formed us in the room, 
but you have set us apart to live for you and your purposes in this world. Our Father, please search our hearts today, and if there are any grievous ways in us, we pray for your forgiveness and that you will help us and strengthen us to turn again to you in repentance and faith so that we might be led away everlasting. And we pray, Father, that we might find great joy in your knowledge of us. And we pray especially this morning for Italia, whom we have just baptized, uh, that she will grow up knowing of your love and your knowledge of her. We pray this again.